Welcome to the Allentown Fellowship Church Podcast. Join us as we study God's Word book by book and then apply practical application to our lives. Good morning from Allentown Fellowship Church. Good to have you guys, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are watching. Uh, happy Mother's Day, Mom. And uh, if you're watching this, I know you're not watching it live, but when you do get to watch it, happy Mother's Day. We are going to continue in the book of James. We're in James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. And we're going to continue as James is um, exhorting the believers about how to live in light of their Christian faith. We come to chapter 5, and he kind of takes a detour and really, you know, begins to talk about judgment that is coming on the rich. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that, you know, kind of throughout James, he was referring to the listeners as brethren, believers in Christ, but yet they were living in a way that wasn't in conjunction with being a Christian. We come to chapter 5, and I believe here he is addressing those who are not believers, and he's simply talking about how God is going to deal with the rich. Now again, he's not dealing with unbelievers, and because they are rich, God's going to deal with them. There's not a sin in being rich, but as we're going to see, he's going to be dealing with the judgment that's coming on them, not only because they don't know Christ. I mean, ultimately, everybody will be judged whether or not they know Christ or not. But he points out the character of these rich people and how they are doing injustice to the poor and that ultimately God is going to deal with them. And it's interesting that he tucks this in here in this letter as he's writing to these Jewish believers. So, it leads me to believe that, that within this community, that there must have been oppression going on between the rich people, the non-believers, in the community who are rich, and how they were treating the poor. And so James inserts this in this letter, and as the believers are reading this letter, it probably encouraged them, because they were probably the victims of some of these rich people who are oppressing them in their community. And so James kind of tucks this in here by way of a warning. Now, were some of these unsaved rich people sitting in the audience? Perhaps. But I think James is writing this to encourage the Jewish believers who perhaps were under some of this oppression coming from the rich people. Um, so, James chapter 5, we're going to look at the first uh, six verses and listen at how James is warning the rich that judgment is coming their way. So let's ask God to uh, bless his word. Father, help us to hear what you have for us as we read this next section in James. We pray, God, that you would work the truth of your word in our hearts. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we'll go back and uh, kind of explain a little bit of this, all right? 
Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. It's like, wow, what in the world's going on here? You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Wow, a scathing report against the rich. Let's take this apart a little bit and see what James is doing. There's a lot of lingo in these verses that appeal right back to the Old Testament. So these Jewish listeners, as this letter was read in this church, they would have been very acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures, and they would have picked up on some of the same uh, phraseology that James is using here in talking about the rich. Verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This weeping and howling is something that you'll see in the Old Testament. It was indicative of God's judgment upon the people of Israel. The prophets would, would come up and they would prophesy that Jehovah is going to judge you, so you ought to weep and howl because, you know what, your judgment is coming. This was Old Testament divine judgment lingo that James is using. And it's, and, and it's no surprise that he would be using Old Testament phraseology. And these, these Jewish Christians could connect with the seriousness of what he's saying about these rich people. He says, for the miseries that are coming upon you, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Like, what in the world is going on there? Well, here's what's happening. These rich people are oppressing the poor. They have a super abundance of riches, but they refuse to give and to share with the poor. And so in verse 2, he, he kind of paints this picture of how rich they were. Your riches have rotted. In other words, those riches uh, probably referring to the masses amount of crops that they had. They have so much, but guess what? Because they're not using it for others, it's rotten. They have these, picture these huge barns filled with all kinds of harvest and produce. And yet because of their greed, rather than sharing it, all that produce is going to, what? It's, it's rotten. It's like, man, are, are you that selfish where you, you won't even give it away? You're so self-absorbed in what you have that, that your riches have rotted. 
and your garments are moth-eaten. Think about that. Garments in this day, if you owned one or two garments, you're in pretty good shape. But here, there's a plurality. Like, you have all these garments, and the idea is they're stored away. They're stored away. It's like in the ancient Near East, you mean you have multiple garments? It's, it's, it, I mean, clothes were so precious during this time. They didn't have Kohl's and Walmart and all these stores to go to to buy clothing. But here the rich are hoarding. This is the idea of what James is getting at. You are hoarding your produce. You're hoarding all of the harvest that you could share. You're hoarding your garments. But look, the garments are moth-eaten. Can you imagine that? Precious clothing that's needed. You have an abundance of clothing. You're not even sharing the clothing. And yet the moths are eating it. So rather than you sharing, you're just storing it up. Your produce is being is turning into rotten. The clothes are not being shared. They're moth-eaten. And then he says, your gold and silver have corroded. You got so much silver, so much gold, and because you're not using it, it's just sitting there, and now the elements of the weather are rusting it. Remember, they, they had coins. You ever have money that you find in your car that's been in there for years, and it's all sticky, and, and maybe it got spilt on or wet, and now the pennies are starting to rust? James is painting a picture here of the vast amount of stuff that these rich people had. So much produce, so many clothes, and even your money is rusting because you're just storing it up. You're not using it. You're not giving it out. You're so filthy rich that even your possessions are rotten, rottening. The money is being rusted or corroded, and all these clothes you have stored up are being moth-eaten. I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's house who's well off and don't have like 10 lawnmowers. I know that's an exaggeration. But that's kind of what James is doing here. He's, he's using like some hyperbole here to try to get you to understand how rich, and then ultimately we're going to see how greedy these rich people were. You talk to somebody and say, oh man, I, I, I need to go and buy uh, this or I need to buy that. And, and you look at and you say, you, you got five of them right here. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go, go get another one. It's like, What? Just this sense of, of greed. That's what James is, is getting at here in, in, in verses uh, 2. Now, look at what he says. Because he says, all of this abundance you have, your money even corroding. He says, their corrosion, your money that's getting all rusted because you're hoarding it, it's going to be evidence against you. It's going to be evidence against you. In other words, the corrosion on the money shows how much money you have. You got so much money that you could let that money just sit and start rusting. That's evidence against you that you had abundance and you refused to share. That's what James is saying here. It'll be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. There again, that phraseology, eat your flesh like fire, that's coming out of Old Testament lingo talking about God's judgment. So in other words, 
James is trying to paint this picture of these rich people. You have so much. You are greedy. You are selfish. You are self-absorbed. God's judgment is coming on you. And what's the evidence that you've been this way? Picture walking into somebody's house. Picture all these poor people that are just starving, walking around with meager clothing, and then you walk into somebody's house, and they have vats and vats and vats of food, all kinds of clothes, and all kinds of money stored up. The fact that you have that abundance is going to serve as judgment against you because you're not using it for the poor. It's a very vivid picture James is painting here of these rich people. So notice what he says. Behold the wages of the laborers who mold your fields. Didn't say field, plural, fields. Again, he's stretching how, how, uh, uh, stressing how rich these people are. Picture these vast fields of grain. And you have workers in there mowing your fields, tending your fields. And guess what? The wages that you should have paid these workers, you kept back by fraud. You deceived them. You're not paying them what is rightfully theirs. You kept back by fraud. And he says, the wages of the laborers, guess what? They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters, those who go in and they harvest the produce, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Wow. Again, Old Testament. Their mind would have gone back to the Old Testament. Uh, the Lord of hosts literally means the Lord of armies. When, when those who were oppressed in the Old Testament were crying out to Jehovah, deliver us, deliver us. Their cries went out to Jehovah, and Jehovah stepped in and granted judgment on their enemies. James is, James is playing off of this same type of mindset in the Old Testament. But now in this context, the poor people that these rich people are cheating and defrauding, he says, you know what? Their cries have reached the Lord of the armies. Wow. Get ready for your judgment. I hope you sense the weight that James is laying on these rich people. And again, it's not an issue of he's rebuking them and warning them of God's judgment because they're rich. That's not the point. The point is they are rich and they are selfish. Not only are they rich and selfish, but they're also, what? Oppressing the poor. That's what's invoking God's judgment, not because they have the money, but because of the injustice. So he says that the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. These rich people cared about no one but themselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Wow. What is he saying? Again, the Jewish people would have understood raising an animal that ultimately is going to be slaughtered in a sacrifice. They would have understood in raising a lamb 
feeding that lamb, allowing that lamb to eat and to eat and get fat and, and then what? Offer it as a sacrifice. James says, you know what, rich people? You're that animal. You've been fattening yourselves for slaughter. I mean, man, if you're, <laughs> if you're a rich person in the congregation hearing this, this ought to put some fear in you. James is invoking the Lord of Sabbath or the Lord of the armies. The Lord of hosts is coming to judge you because of your self-indulgence, because of your oppression of the poor. This ought to give us a, a, a glimpse into what God feels about injustice. What God feels about those who take advantage of people. God doesn't take it lightly at all. And he says, you rich people, you have fattened your hearts by your luxurious living, your self-indulgence. Yep, you're just fattening up your own life. But guess what? You're doing it in a day of slaughter. In other words, there's impending judgment coming in your life. You have condemned, verse 6, and murdered the righteous person. Wow. He does not resist you. Here James is painting the picture of what's going on. You are mistreating these workers. You're not giving them what is rightfully theirs. And James says what? You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. How in the world, how in the world are they murdering these people? Are they literally murdering these people? Well, I, I think what James is, is, is getting at is this. I don't know that, that they are, these rich people are actually going and murdering these, these workers. But I, I, why does he use that word murder? Well, think about what's being withheld from these workers their wages. So they're not being paid. They're not eating. And so why would James say you've condemned and murdered the righteous person? Again, these righteous people is referring back up to the previous verses. The ones that are laborers, the ones who are mowing your fields, the ones who are harvesting from your field. They're giving you all this great gain and you're not giving them anything. Is it possible that some of these workers, because of no food, would have perished, would have died? I think it is very probable that that's what James is talking about. You're withholding to the point of allowing people to starve to death. You think God's going to sit back and just let that happen? Your judgment is coming. You talk about somebody being greedy. It's not like they don't have enough food. Goes back up to the verse we started at. They got so much in their possession that it is rottening. Why? Because it's not being used. You know, think about how many times you have fruit on your table, right? And what happens? You don't eat it. And then you buy more. And then you buy more. And then what happens? It starts to rot. And then here come the fruit flies, right? Picture these rich people, they have so much food, but they refuse to share with the poor people. Not only sharing, but guess what? This is money that should have been paid to these workers. So we're not even talking about the rich giving them something they don't deserve. No. These workers, their cries are, have come up to the ears of God because the rich are not paying them for what they rightfully have earned. 
So James says, you have condemned and murdered your righteous person. He does not resist you. Now next week, we're going to go on and see where James then talks about how to be patient in suffering. And I think he switched the camera back to the Jewish believers. So that's what leads me to believe that many of these Jewish believers may be victims of what James is just describing at the hands of these rich people. But notice, he says here, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In other words, God's judgment is coming upon you. Now, I, I, I think there, there, there are some good principles we can take out of here, but let, let me just mention this. It's very interesting that a few years after James wrote this letter, Jerusalem came under siege by the Romans, and there was massive killing that began to happen. And there was all kind of turmoil that rose up between the zealots, and, and they were working in cahoots with the Romans. And, but the bottom line is, war broke out, and many of these people were still alive when it happened. And what's interesting is, Many of the rich were slaughtered because of their possessions. Now, the way it was billed, they were saying that many of these rich Jewish people were trying to do an uprising. And that's how they justified killing them. Truth be told, there was no uprising. They wanted their stuff. And if you go back and look in history of what happened, many of the rich people, many of the rich people lost their lives because of their riches. And do you know who was left alone during this time of this siege? The poor. Why did they leave the poor alone? Because the poor had nothing. That's fascinating to me. Here James is writing in this letter, warning these rich people. God's judgment is coming. This wasn't some future judgment. This came in their lifetime. They experienced it. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have fattened yourself. Your slaughter is impending. It's right around the corner. And history bears out that a few years later, under this siege, many of the rich were slaughtered. And their stuff was taken. And in the midst of slaughtering these rich people, many of the poor were passed over. They don't have nothing. They don't have nothing. You know, again, God's serious about his word. <laughs> and God's word constantly plays out the way God says it's going to play out. So, what can we see here? God has a concern for how we treat other people. In this context, specifically the poor. And God is not against riches. God is not against you making a lot of money. But what, what God detests, and what he also detests in the Old Testament, was the treating of the poor and the widows wrongly, neglecting them. 
If you are blessed and God has blessed you and God has allowed you to accumulate wealth, which the Bible says if a man accumulates wealth, it's because God has allowed it. We ought to have a gracious heart towards those who are less fortunate. We ought not to be self-indulgent. We ought not to fall into this American dream of get more, get more. It's about me. It's about me. Go after making money and getting the things you can get, but never forget those who are less fortunate. We see here in this passage that God is concerned about justice. Treat people right. Don't cheat. Don't rob. Cheat, uh, treat people the way that God would have you to treat them. It's interesting that God gives James this letter. And as he's trying to encourage these Jewish believers, that he then pauses and gives a commentary on the rich who are outside of the church, who are outside of the faith, and, and gives a commentary on them of impending judgment. Then he's going to turn the camera back on the Jewish believers, we'll look at this next week, and talk about how to be patient while you are suffering. I think that's interesting. Because maybe you as a believer, sometimes you see everything that's going on out here in the world. You see people who are getting ahead, maybe in ungodly ways. People seem to be prospering. People seem to have no problem. I mean, they have all the money they need. And, and, and you might start like, like man... That's so unfair. What about me? I know that guy's dishonest. And yet he's prospering. Like, that can start messing with you. And, and you can start focusing on that and start doubting God's love and God's provision for you. I think some of that was going on in this church. And so what, what does God do? Through, through James, he does what? Oh, by the way, Christian, uh, Jewish Christians, by the way, let, let me tell you what's going to happen to these rich people out here who are doing wrong and doing injustice. And I think by way of encouraging these Jewish believers, be patient. Be steadfast in what you're supposed to do in spite of the injustice that is happening to you. It is interesting that at the end of verse 6, he says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, speaking to the rich. And then it says, What about the righteous person? He does not resist you. These poor people had no recourse. They, what are they going to do? They have no money to go to court. So they were just being taken advantage of. But yet God, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, was going to step in a few years later and judge and destroy many of these rich people. It ought to bring some soberness to us. It ought to bring some soberness to us as we are living our lives to understand that God is a God of justice. You know, oftentimes we talk about the love of God, and we should. God is love. The Bible clearly teaches that. But oftentimes we don't want to talk about the judgment of God. Now, for a believer, we are totally justified in Christ. should have no fear of God's judgment because our sins have been forgiven once and for all. However, the way we live, there ought to be a sense of soberness in us and how we live before this holy God. Because even the believers are going to be judged. I think we miss that sometimes. 
not for our salvation, but how we lived our life after salvation. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this, that I make it my aim to please God. Why? Because we must all, referring to believers, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And each man will receive according to how he has lived his life. You don't hear a lot of that talked about. So we tend to talk about God is love, God is, God is love. And yes, God is love. And I'm totally saved and justified because of Christ. Yes, amen. And then we kind of lose the second side of that. But wait a minute. But there is a way that God is looking for me to live. And I will be brought into account for how I live my life. These unbelievers, and I believe these are unbelievers, these rich people who are unbelievers that, 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 that James is, is, is focusing on, are going to be judged for their sins. Ultimately, they don't know Christ. But what about us as believers? While we're not being judged for our sins... Because we are in Christ. But God will judge us for the way we treat one another. God will judge the believer for how our life is being lived after coming to faith in Christ. And I think seeing this harsh judgment that's coming on these, what I believe are non-believers and these rich folk, I think it ought to be a sober reminder to us. Number one, thank God we don't have to fear that judgment because of Christ but yet I ought to be cognizant of how I am living my life you know we saw earlier in James where he talked about be ye not many teachers right he's talking about believers I believe they were fighting trying to rally for position as, 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 as pastors and, and he says hey don't don't, don't go after that, because why? Because to you comes the greater judgment. Let's not forget the grace of God in our lives through Christ. Amen? But let's not forget that God is also a God who is going to judge. And it ought to matter how you and I treat one another, certainly how we treat other fellow believers, but also how we treat those who don't know the Lord we will give an account for how we also live. So, as we wrap up here, I want you to think about what James is doing here in this letter. He's encouraging these Jewish believers that even though they're dealing with persecution and injustice, ultimately, God, God will reckon all things. Which means that we have to be steadfast. I don't know what our situation may be. We obviously may not be in a situation like this. We live in a different time where you may have the method to be able to fight for injustice. And I think you should do that wherever you can. But to understand that, that God is still in control. God sees the hearts of all men. And God will bring everything and reconcile everything. That ought to be an encouragement to us as believers. Because that means what? I don't have to try to fix everything myself. Fix things where I can. But I don't have to be consumed with all of the evil and all the injustice that's going on in this world. Ultimately, as the Bible says, will not the Lord of the earth do right? God will. God will. It ought to be a sober reminder 
that God is a God of love, but God is also a God who is going to judge. And again, we don't have to fear for our salvation, or we don't have to fear for the judgment of God when it comes to salvation, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation. But the fact that you are a true believer, man, it ought to have something to do with the way you live. Your life ought to look different than the way the world lives. It ought to look different. So that's the whole book. The whole point of this book, faith without works is dead. If we say we have faith, then prove it to me by the way you live. Prove it to me by the way you deal with conflict. Prove it to me by the way you steward your time and your resources. Prove, prove that you really have this faith in God. He's not talking about earning your salvation by living the right way. He's saying, but because of your salvation, you ought to be living the right way. So I pray that we will each evaluate our lives and begin to live out a life that truly demonstrates that we have faith in Christ. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you will help us to all examine our lives. Lord, while we may not be in the category of these rich people who are oppressing and, and Father, just doing all types of injustice, there might be other things in our lives that don't match up with who Christ is. So I pray that you would convict us, open up our eyes to the things we need to do, and Father, as we'll learn next week, that we might continue to be patient and steadfast and just solid and walking in a way that pleases you despite what's going on in this world. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. And we hope and pray uh, next week we'll be back with another message. And uh, again, we'll keep you posted as to when uh, we'll be able to physically meet again in our Allentown location. So keep that in prayer. Uh, hopefully things keep moving in that direction and we'll uh, be able to meet in person soon. So God bless you. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the AFC podcast. If you would like to join us in our service, we meet at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, PA in what is called the Daybreak Room located in the Dubs Memorial Community Center. Services start at one o'clock. We would love to have you come visit. Until next week, God bless and apply his word.